right, well, good morning once again, church family. I'll give y'all a few minutes to find your way back to your seats. Uh, one of my favorite things we do is this little greet time, and I love that we could just feel like if I didn't cut it off, we'd spend our whole service just greeting one another. Um, I think that's great. We're going to, um, a lot of the youth, I think we're dismissed. They're going to go set up for the spaghetti uh, dinner bake auction, which again is immediately following the service. But uh, what I want to do is we normally have a time of announcements uh, followed by a prayer and prayer focus. Today we're just going to do uh, prayer, prayer focus. Uh, the big announcement is the spaghetti lunch right after service uh, and the big auction, and um, we want to invite you to that for sure um, if you're able to stay. Um, but what I want to pray for this morning is um, for those of you who weren't here um, on e- Palm Sunday, um, Pastor Caleb Kimbrough and his wife Casey uh, came and um, they came for the whole weekend. They introduced themselves on Saturday. And then uh, on Sunday, Pastor Kale preached, uh, Casey introduced herself, and uh, we then as a church voted them in to be, uh, him to be the, the senior pastor of Arlington Baptist Church, and for her uh, to come on at a later date as a children's director. Um, I just want to say I'm so, so excited for that. We don't, I think, know the exact date yet, um, but it's going to be in the next, I think, seven, eight weeks or so, six, seven, eight weeks. Um, and uh, I just want to take a moment for us to pray, one, we're definitely going to pray for them uh, in their transition. They're moving their whole life and houses here. They've dug in roots 10 years at the church they're at now. And so uh, we want to pray through all that transition for them. Uh, we want to pray for us in transition. But, um, but even before we do that, I want to take a moment just to pray um, and just praise God for his goodness. Uh, I can, you can ask anyone on the pastor search team, anyone that we talked to or that I've talked to in my uh, you know, time as a pastor, the time it takes to find a pastor is usually like 18 months. Um, and we didn't just, they didn't just rather cut corners to find anybody. And you guys met them. They're an awesome, awesome family that's going to come and lead. And so um, I just want to, let's pray for that and that transition. But let's also just praise God for his goodness and his faithfulness uh, to provide the perfect right person. Not perfect person, but the right person for for us and to lead this church family. And so if you would, let's just take a few moments to pray um, and just thank God for that, but also just in the next weeks to come that God will continue to just move through this time of transition. Um, God, we love you and uh, Lord, are just in awe of your goodness. The ways in which you work are just so far beyond anything we could comprehend. And um, in moments where things seem impossible or improbable. Um, You not only provide, but provide in a way that's beyond what we thought we even needed. And so we just, we just thank you, Lord. We just praise your name. We recognize as much as our finite minds can, your goodness and your holiness and your sovereignty and your care for your church here at Arlington and and to bring uh, Pastor Caleb and his wife and their family um, here, God, is just a, it's an act of you and you alone. Uh, There's no way we could have uh, manufactured. There's no way the search team, as great as they are, could have just kind of figured something out on their own. God, you were at work. Um, we just thank you for making it so obvious to make this transition easier. Um, and, and so we're just thankful, Lord, and we praise your name. Um, and we do recognize, God, that in these next seasons, there might be some things that are challenging, uh, both for just the logistics of their family moving down, the logistics of uh, just the transition 
um, even just um, getting things implemented and started. And so we just pray that you would, as you were in orchestrating their coming and, and the transition and happening, you just continue to provide and continue to make it clear that you are at the helm. Uh, and as we've said, God, that you would remind us and show the, the, the world around us that even in the midst of said transition, uh, your church can flourish and grow and, and be healthy and multiply and, and reach lost people and, and fulfill the mandates of a local church. Um, and so help us, God, to redeem uh, what it looks like to, to transition well, recognizing that we are, in a global sense, one church. Um, yes, locally here we're one family, but God, we are serving your kingdom as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that this next few weeks, months, God, would be uh, exactly how you would have it be amongst our church family. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you um, for your goodness and just ask and pray uh, all this uh, in your name. Amen. Amen. morning once again. Um, as you can tell by the, uh, the, the fancy video we have there that we are um, entering the time of our service where we humbly approach God's word uh, together, where we open up the book that we know is so much more than a book and look at the, the words on the pages that we know are so much more than just words on a page and we interact and encounter uh, God's presence and we do so together, right, as a as a, just a reminder that this is really what we ought to be doing individually, uh, but we come together and, and, and open it and look at it together. Um, and we're going to be walking through a series, really for the next, indefinitely, we'll say. Uh, we're going to be walking through this series. As you can tell from the video there, uh, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians. And, and I personally am super excited um, because if you've been here for any length of time, it's, it's our preferred way to, to go through God's Word. Um, is by opening it up and picking a book and just walking through it. Um, but I'm especially ex excited about it this time because in the past what we've done is we've either done a whole Bible reading plan as a church, which is a really broad way of looking at it. Uh, we've then gone through books at a time, but what we typically will do is kind of one chapter at a time. And I'll encourage you that, hey, next week we're going to talk you know, about Ephesians chapter 2, uh, take this next week, read Ephesians chapter 2, and then next week I'm going to preach from something within chapter 2, right? And, and so we'll kind of go through it that way. But what we're going to do this time is we're going to go um, even deeper. We're going to uh, kind of zoom in even more so on the microscope, if you will. And we're going to be going verse by verse uh, as far as we can through the book of Philippians in the next several weeks to come. And so what I want to invite you to do uh, is to join in that with us. If you're new to reading scripture, um, this is a great way to start. Is um, Don't feel like you got to read. It's a big book. Um, some of y'all are probably bigger than this one. Even this is a thinner version, but, um, but it's big. It's thousands of pages, and it sometimes is, is a little tougher to read in the sense that it's talking about things that are new 
And so we can't just read them and immediately know and understand all of it, uh, nor could we, uh, even, if, even for those who have you know, studied and been in school for years and years and years. It is infinite in its depth, um, but a great way to read God's Word is just as microscopically as we can, to look as close as we can and just see what it says. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. And so I invite you in that uh, in the next um, several weeks as we go through it. And if you're not in a Bible group, I would also just want to use this time to encourage you to join a Bible group. Um, our Bible groups are really just groups that talk about the Bible, and uh, most of them are, are structured in a way where they, they follow up on what was taught on Sunday mornings. And so we're going to teach, for example, on the first 11 verses in Philippians uh, chapter 1 today, and then in the groups, they're going to dig even more deeply into those 11 verses. And so And then on top of that, if you're reading through the book on your own, um, it's just going to allow God's Word to meditate on your heart in multiple different ways and multiple different formats and the privateness of your own home as you read, uh, corporately as we hear and listen to God's Word together, but also conversationally in a Bible group. And so if you're interested in joining um, a group, I'd encourage you to do so. Um, You can fill out a Connect card, um, you know, specify that you're interested, drop it in one of the offering plates, and we'll make sure to connect you with a group that works for you. Um, but again, all of this is just to, to be in God's Word, believing that it has the power to transform our, our lives. Like I said, it's not just a book that we read. Um, it is powerful beyond measure. It's the source with which we find absolute truth, absolute authority, that we find uh, means for salvation, and we find sufficiency for living. And so we devote and dedicate our whole lives to it. And the other beautiful part about Philippians is it's a short book. And so again, if you're new, what a place to start. Four chapters. Um, we almost, what I almost did today was just read through the whole book. Um, it only takes about 15 minutes if you're a quick reader, 20 minutes if you read a little bit slower. And so even if you, know, you read for five minutes a day over the course of this series, you will probably have read through this book uh, 10, 12 times or so. And so... Um, again, just can't stress enough um, our desire in, in, in digging deep and doing so together during these next several weeks. So I want to take a moment to pray um, just specifically for today as we open God's Word and in the weeks to come that He would allow this book just to come to life and that we would feel His presence in a powerful way. So if you would, pray with me. Um, God, we love you. You know, just thankful again, Lord, that you love us so much that you create us, created us and formed us in your image, to be an image bearer of you, to, to rule and subdue the world that you created. And even when we f- fell and when we failed, um, God, you offered redemption and restoration in the person of Jesus. And then even on top of that, you have given us a tangible way of encountering you through your word um, that isn't just tangible, uh, it is also intangible and in that it describes the depths of your character and who you are and, and what you've done for us and instructs us how we live. Uh, but what a joy that we have access to your word, access to your very presence. And so God, I pray that as we open up the Bible, as we open up to Philippians and today, chapter one, verses one through 11, God, that you'd help us to encounter your presence. Draw us near to yourself. God, let nothing uh, be attractive this morning other than your word. Um, let it be what draws us. Let it be what 
uh, quenches our thirst. Let it be what sustains um, our living. And let it be what we center our whole entire life around. God, help us to be rooted in your word uh, as, a, as the sole foundation for which we live our life and reflect you and seek to bring glory to your name's sake. And so, Lord, give us just a clear understanding of what you want us to know this morning as we together open up your word. And so, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we just ask and pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you would, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, it is towards uh, the back of the book. It'd probably be easier to start flipping from Revelation. Um, it's uh, right, chronologically, it's right after um, Ephesians. Uh, it's right before Colossians, and so I encourage you to flip there. Um, and again, we're going to be there for the whole day, so uh, we'll, actually we'll flip to Acts a little bit, but... Um, encourage you to just see it in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we would love to get you a Bible. Um, there's also ones in the seat back pew in front of you. Uh, the scripture will be on the screen behind me. I also give you permission to look over the shoulder of the person next to you. Um, we want to interact together, seeing God's word. Um, but what I want to do is, today's going to look a little different. Um, and the reason is because we're going to invest so much time to this book and, and dig in so deeply for as long as we're able um, I want to make sure that we have a good context, both historically for the book of Philippians, uh, but also a biblical foundation as well. And so I'm going to spend maybe, maybe five, ten minutes on that alone, um, and then we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and we'll do so a little bit more concisely than normal. Um, and so if you would, um, as you flipped there, uh, let's look both at, again, the historical uh, context as well as the biblical context of this particular Book And again, this isn't just for this morning. It's going to set the foundation for the rest of the time we're in it. Um, but the first thing to know about the book of Philippians is it was a letter, as was much of the New Testament. You have the Gospels, you have the book of Acts, and then you have uh, the epistles, which most of which are letters to individuals or to churches. This one is a letter to a church, a church at Philippi. Um, and it was written um, by Paul, who wrote the majority of those letters, of those epistles. Um, in the city of Philippi, he's writing to just a few historical facts, again, to kind of give us an idea of the audience. Um, one, it was, it, it's, well, it's located, it was located in modern-day Greece. And so it was a European um, nation or, or, or city, and um, it, it would be like the northern, northeastern part of Greece, um, it was a prosperous and um, an important ancient city because of their trade, because of its location um, on the sea, and they're also well known for mining gold during that particular time in history. And so it was a, 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 a known city, an important city that kind of bridged, if you know where Greece is, it's, 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 similar, it's close to uh, Western Asia, and so it's... Um, it kind of bridges those two continents together uh, with trade, and so it was significant for that reason. Um, it was most natively inhabited by a group called the, uh, the Thracians, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, it was later overtaken, and this is just how far back we know, it was later overtaken uh, by the Greek Empire, only then to be overtaken by Rome a few hundred years later. And the reason why I give that kind of backstory is, is because it was, Kind of, it was a nation conquered by a nation conquered by a nation. 
is because that kind of led it to be a, a hodgepodge or a melting pot, if you will, of uh, early ancient um, nations and civilizations. And so they had a lot of different backgrounds of beliefs, uh, just cultural way they did things, um, and, and religion. And so um, a few different things that we know is going back furthest, some of the, the religions or the practices were, were very uh, crude and barbaric. They, were, they, they did human sacrifices. It was very um, not good. Uh, we'll just put it that way. Um, there were also a lot of uh, Roman and Greek cults that formed. Um, and, and what happened is uh, the differences in culture led to, again, a, a lot of different things coming together. And so what Rome ended up doing after they, you know, again, all, all this is together, is they kind of separated religion into two categories. You had um, legal and illegal. And they didn't have a national religion, per se, but they did approve all religions that the people practiced. And, and most of the ones that, that included were the, the religious practices of the nations they conquered. Um, and so if you were going to be an outside faith coming in, it would need to get special approval in order to be accepted. And because of the, the nature of Christianity coming to being really as the fulfillment of Judaism, there was a little bit of confusion early on, which you see in the book of Acts, which ultimately led to Paul's um, imprisonment. Um, but they kind of just thought that Christianity was Judaism. And it, and it sort of was if Judaism would have just believed that Christ was the Messiah. Um, but because they didn't, it then created two, the Judaism, those who were still awaiting a Messiah, um, and Christianity, those who accepted Christ as the Messiah. And so as their views became more known um, in the Roman within the Roman Empire, um, it created more conflict as to what do we do with these Christians, right? Because it's not an approved religion, although it kind of is, because it's the fruition of Judaism, which is the belief that Christ was the coming Messiah. And so, so it led to this conflict that we'll see a little bit later. Um, but that's kind of the historical background. It's not super in-depth, but enough for us to know that um, know where it's located in proximity to um, early Christianity, uh, or to where you know, Jesus, to where Israel was, but also to where the church then spread. Um, it's connecting point, um, but also the, the background of their faith, the, the religions that were there, the, the cultural practices. And so, so from there, let's take a moment then to look at um, how this kind of fits into Scripture. Um, what is the scriptural or the biblical context for Philippians as well, and what's interesting is, for most, kind of a helpful way to look at the New Testament is, is you have the Gospels, which are Jesus coming to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. Then you have Acts, which is the formation of the early church built upon the truth of what Jesus came to do and, and accomplished. Um, and within Acts, it's a historical book of the church's growth. And so you see the church spread throughout the book of Acts, and you see churches planted throughout the book of Acts. And then the epistles, which are after the book of Acts, are largely letters to the cities in which the churches were planted. And so, um, so we can actually see the planting of the Philippian church in Acts chapter 16. So I want to read just a few different uh, verses to give us a, a picture of how this church came to be. And then we'll see uh, the context from which Paul wrote to the Philippians. So Acts chapter 16, um, Paul is on his second missionary journey. Uh, he's a missionary sent out from Antioch um, and, and ultimately ends up being led by the Spirit to leave uh, Asia, cross over into Macedonia, modern-day Europe, where Philippi was located. 
Um, and so in verse 6, it reads this. Of Acts chapter 16. It says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Uh, they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mycenae, they tried to go into uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over into Macedonia and help us. And he had seen the vision. Uh, and after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so again, they're on their journey. The Spirit leads them to, to leave Asia because they were forbid to preach the gospel there um, and to go then preach to Macedonia where Philippi was located. And then continuing on after their arrival, in verse 11 it says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. And so, so oftentimes, if you read through Acts, what you'll find is, is Paul's uh, kind of chosen strategy for beginning his ministry is he would go straight to the, the temples in the city that he was at. He would hope to share the gospel with the Jews who were just awaiting the coming Messiah to tell them, because again, there's a lot of distance between where all that took place and, and the cities that Paul went to. And so he was just letting them know, hey, the Messiah has come. He came in the person of Jesus Christ and he, he, he lived and died uh, to take the place of our sins and rose from the grave, confirming his deity as well as the salvation for our sins. Repent, believe, be baptized, and, and live for the kingdom. But usually what happened is they didn't believe, and so Paul then would turn his attention to the Gentiles. And, but what we see here is that in Philippi, they didn't even have a temple. Right? Paul says is looking, or where they expected to find a place of prayer, um, but they didn't. It says instead they, they found and sat down and spoke to the women who were gathered there. And just for some cultural context, um, you only needed 10 men back then in order for the formation of a temple. Um, which means there were less than 10 male Jews there. Um, and all that we can assume from what we do see is that there's only a few even women who were Jewish. And so from there, verse 14, it says, A God-fearing woman, one of those women who he does meet with, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying after she and her household were baptized. She urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So we see the first Philippian convert in the, the historical book that is Acts in chapter 16. And in the following verses of Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, is the story of Paul and Silas being thrown into prison. And the reason they were thrown into prison um, is because they, they healed a woman who was demon-possessed, and it frustrated the people there because they were using her demonic gifts for profit. And so when they freed her from the demon, they then began to realize that their beliefs weren't the same as Jewish beliefs. And, and remember, the way that the, the, the Roman um, nation worked 
is that you had to have Roman approval in order to practice particular religions. And so their claim was that what they're practicing isn't approved Judaism, uh, in which case it's illegal. And so they then throw them into prison, not knowing that they're Romans. And in verse 20 through 21, it says, they are Jews and promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. And then going down to verse 25 through 34, we see that, that Paul and Silas are imprisoned. We see God shakes their prison chains loose. He frees them. He uses them to lead a jailer and his family to salvation as well. And then, so, so far, we've seen Paul goes to Philippi. He meets a woman. She becomes the first Christian that we know of convert in Philippi to then be imprisoned shortly after uh, because he's, again, preaching a gospel that, that isn't accepted by, by a lot of the Jews um, to then be imprisoned and then share the gospel again to see another convert. So you have two families, Lydia and her household, it says, and the jailer and his household. And then the final verse in Acts chapter 16, it says, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. Brothers and sisters implying that a church community has formed. Brothers and sisters is only used in the Greek to, to connote uh, Christian community. Right? Jesus only used the terms brothers and sisters to refer to those who accepted his teaching. Um, and so, so a church is being formed. Now, whether that's just Lydia and her household and the jail and his household, we don't know. Whether it was early in formation or whether uh, they had already seen explosive growth like in Acts chapter 2, we don't know. But we do know that the church had been established in Philippi. Now, this is all around A.D. 50 or so. Um, Paul later makes one more missionary journey that we see in Acts chapter 20 where he visits Philippi again, which is about seven years after the fact. He ends up afterwards, well, he goes to, to Philippi the, the second time, excuse me, to collect money for a trip that he wanted to take to Jerusalem and, and collect a gift to give to those in Jerusalem, which he later ends up doing and then going only to then be um, imprisoned while he's in Jerusalem and sent back to Rome where he gets where, where the book of Acts ends with Paul imprisoned which is where he then writes the letter that is Philippians and so all that to say that's I know a lot of historical context a lot of biblical context but here's what we need to know um, Philippi was an important significant nation there was a Roman nation where there weren't there weren't even many Jews um, but there were a lot of random beliefs that were not Christian, that were prevalent. We know there were demonic presence there. Um, and we know that Paul, through the guiding and work of the Holy Spirit in him, planted the first church, encouraged the church seven years later, and then a few years after the fact, about ten years later, while he's in prison, he writes to them again. So that's the context with which we're about to approach the book of Philippians. Um, and for today's purposes, Verses 1 through 11. So I'm only going to spend about 10 or 15 minutes looking through these first 11 verses. Um, but the context is especially significant for the words that we're going to read today. Um, but let me go ahead and read it in its entirety first. Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. And then we'll break it down from there. Philippians 1. 1 through 11. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now again, what we're going to do is go through verse by verse, um, starting with the greeting, which I think we so oftentimes overlook. And if you're familiar with a lot of Paul's letters, or if you look at Ephesians, Galatians, the, the surrounding books, um, Colossians, you'll see that a lot of them start very similar in how he greets. But it is significant, again, for how it prefaces all that Paul is about to say. Um, again, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just say that um, sometimes when we read this, we might forget that when Paul wrote these, the way they were really intended um, is they would have the letters, they would stand before all the, the church at Philippi, and they would be read aloud. Um, and so you can imagine, if, if I'm standing here now, that that greeting going out before all of them, reminding the people of a few things. One, who's writing it? And, and notice that he immediately after he says his own name, which he starts with Paul and Timothy, the very next thing he does is he qualifies that it's not actually even him, himself. right? He, he's just a servant of, of Christ Jesus. He's not adding anything that's, that's his own, that's... That's, that's what Paul wants to say. He's just acting as a, as a servant of the living God. He's not saying his own words. He's saying that which God has, has propelled him to say. right? And not even just for the purposes of what's ultimately going to be uh, confirmed as, as, as Scripture, um, but just in any speech that Paul presents. right? He's saying that I, I'm simply a servant of God, and I'm communicating his will and his word in and for others. He then qualifies not just who's writing, but who he's writing to. You notice he gives kind of three different categories of people that he's writing to. First, all the saints, right? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Uh, saints is just another way in the New Testament of saying believers, right? That the Christians, those who are in Christ Jesus. He then says, including the overseers and deacons, which is another way of saying uh, overseer is an interchangeable word with elder or pastor in the New Testament. And so he's saying pastors, deacons, members. He's listing the, the, whole, the whole gambit of, of, of church structure. 
implying that this is for everybody. So we don't have to sit in here worrying whether this is just for, for, for leaders or just, just pastors should study this. It is for, for all Christians, all people, regardless of position in church, it is for them. We also know, this is a side note, given that overseers and deacons are present, that the church must have grown considerably, not necessarily in size, but even just in formation, since Paul established the church back in Acts chapter 16, because they now have elders who are capable of teaching the word on their own. They now have deacons who are able, of, able to, to serve the, the body on their own and lead in that. And they have organized, designated saints or members of that particular body who have been specified and identified. And then thirdly, he gives us the heart with which he's written the letter. He says, grace and peace, or grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants the heartbeat of this message to be the grace of God. And notice that he says, because again, he's writing to a, a, a people who they, they, they know Judaism because it's been approved by, you know, to be a practiced religion um, under Roman rule, um, but it's different than Judaism. And notice he acknowledges the deity of Jesus, right? He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's wanting this letter to communicate the grace of God that comes through the person of Christ who is, who is equal in deity, who is also God himself. He's wanting the gospel church to be what's communicated. Right? Again, not his words. He's wanting the gospel to be what's communicated to the those at Philippi, to the church, to those to the Philippians. And so this is a, a reminder for us that, that we don't graduate from the gospel. The gospel is not just a means of salvation. It's the good news that we continue to live our life with every single day as a new creation in Christ. Our minds being renewed daily, sanctified by his word that is truth. Right? And so this greeting is for, for the the, the next eight verses that we're going to look at, but for the rest of the letter as well. And so moving on then to verses 3 through 11, I'm going to try to go through these relatively quickly, but again, I encourage you to, to really dig in and meditate on your own as well. But in verses 3 through 11, we see kind of an interesting stylistic way that Paul writes this. Because he really makes, he makes three remarks to the church of Philippi, but then he, he backs up all of the remarks. He gives a reason for why he makes each remark. And again, this is still kind of a, an overflow of his greeting. He's still talking to and about them and referencing them and his relationship that he has with them. And so, so a lot of what we're going to learn today is how the church ought to relate to the church, both in a local sense and a global sense, right? Because Paul has a unique kind of foot in both worlds because he's, he's basically a de facto member of their church because he formed it, right? He's visited, he's encouraged, he's sent people there. Like he's, he's basically a part of their local church because he knows them so well. He knows the people and he gets reports and he's, he's, he's been there, right? But, but also not really because he's not daily practicing and walking out the functions and mandates of the local church. And so he's also a, a partner in the global sense of the word church, right? And so for us, this gives us a word for, for one, how we ought to, to relate to one another in the local sense here, how we should have relationships with each other, but also with how we should 
relate to the global church with other Christians outside these walls as well. Right? Recognizing that we're not competing, right, but that we are in it together. And we'll see that with the, you can just feel the heart in which Paul is saying what he's saying in verses 3 through 11, but also in the remarks themselves, the content of what he's saying. And so we're going to see three remarks and three responses or three reasons for those remarks. Start with the first one, found in verses 3 through 4. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. His first remark is expressing his thankfulness for them. He is telling them he is thankful for them, so much so that he's acknowledging them Always, every remembrance of them is one that leads to thanks. Now, I think that, again, thanks, we talk about this a lot, that sometimes when the Bible uses words that we also use in English, we've got to make sure that we know what is being said, right? Because sometimes we can just flippantly throw out thanks, right? Sometimes we say thanks as if we're not even thankful, right? How often do we even you know, border on using the Lord's name in fame we say, thank God, when really what we mean is, man, I'm so glad that thing didn't happen, right? Meaning we're not actually thankful with a, a genuine, pure thanks, right? We're just selfishly glad that what we didn't want to happen didn't happen, right? Or that what we did want to happen did happen, right? And so when we hear Paul expressing his thankfulness, and again, how many of us would say those words about someone or something else? How much of us, how, much, how, how many of us feel that, that level of thanks for another, another human being where every remembrance of you, I'm giving thanks. Always praying for you with joy in every prayer. Right? And so that's the, the remark that Paul makes is he's communicating his thankfulness for them as brothers and sisters in the faith. But then he shares the reason why he's thankful. So it's not just that the level is a, a, a deep level, but he gives us the reason for that deep level of thanks. In verse 5, when he goes on to say, because, right, because I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's not thankful that they could talk sports and cut jokes with one another. Paul's not thankful that their, that their families got along and swapped cooking recipes. Paul's not thankful for the fact that their kids went to the same school and they had playdates. Paul is thankful because they partnered in the gospel. That they prioritized that above everything else. And that's not to say that your kids should play with other kids, you shouldn't swap recipes, and you shouldn't be able to joke with other people, but that's not the source of his thanks. When he says, I'm thankful for them, it has nothing to do with those things and everything to do with the fact that they have partnered with him in the gospel. Right? Not just that they watched Paul do all the work as a super missionary. Right? Not just that, that they kind of you know, said so with their mouths, but that they actually did it. They're actually doing it. Not, and he says from the first day, right, which is when they had those first converts, right, but until now. Meaning that they didn't just claim Christianity, say, you know, I believe in the gospel, I want to be saved from my sins, and then just go right back to living their own life. Right? The gospel is not just a moment that, not just a moment that, that changed at once for them, but it was now just what they lived. And so Paul was thankful that he was getting to do it with them. 
right? That they were doing it together. That when Paul was out continuing his missionary journeys, going to Jerusalem, and keep in mind, he's in prison as he's writing this. And he can't express enough his thanks knowing that they're partnered. Right? So even the way that Paul's not able to do perhaps what he wants to do by, by actively sharing and going and preaching the gospel and traveling and, 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 and sharing the word to Gentiles, right? he's thankful because he knows that he has partners in Philippi. I don't know about you, but personally, as one who's getting ready to, to leave this body, I can't wait to be able to say the same words. I'm thankful that I have brothers and sisters in Arlington that are partners in the gospel, not just in one moment, but until this day that we're continuing to partner together in the gospel, sharing it with, with all to the uttermost parts of the world. Because realize we can't do it alone. And Paul, in knowing that, is expressing his thanks for them. And then moving on to verse 6, we see the second remark Paul makes. It says in verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. Now listen to this. He says, I am sure of this, or I am certain. What is he certain of? That he, being, being God, being in and through Christ Jesus, who started a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. And so what is this remark? He's expressing not only his thankfulness, but he's expressing his confidence in their salvation. We've talked about it before, but the Bible, the, the gospel offers assurance of salvation. And Paul is, is expressing his confidence that they've got it. Right? That it was God who did the work in them, and it is God that is going to carry the work through them, until the day of Jesus, which is referring to the day that Christ comes back, meaning that, again, it's not just a, a decision they made one time, right? But that, but that it is being worked out in them, and they're continuing to live it, and he is confident that it will continue to happen going forward. And again, with that remark, he, he shares his reasoning. Right? He says in verses eight, 7 through 8, he says, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way. It's right for me to have confidence about all of you. He says, Because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so what is he saying here? The reason he has confidence, one, goes back to the same reason he had thankfulness. Right? It's their active partnership and participation in the gospel. But the, the addition to his reasoning in this remark is, is the, in the circumstances. Right? They didn't just do it, one, when it was easy. They didn't do it when it was uh, fun, necessarily. They supported him when he was imprisoned. Um, they gave defenses of the gospel. Because what began to happen in places like that, like we talked about when we gave the historical background, is that as Christianity became, started to become more and more separate from Judaism, that, that there were those who were saying, no, the Messiah hasn't come yet. And then there were those who were saying, no, Jesus was the Messiah. And so those were totally different sets of beliefs. It then led to opposition in which they had to say, I'm going to stand firm and give defense 
of the gospel. And so the fact that it wasn't just a, an emotional response that they made on a spiritual high mountaintop experience, but that they were living the gospel. Even when it required sacrifice for them to support Paul, even it required sacrifice even to the point of martyrdom by standing in the face of, of, of the Roman Empire in, their, in that, that period of time where they weren't sure what to do with Christianity. And so he was confident in the fruit of their actions and the fruit of their partnership. So he expresses his thankfulness, he expresses his confidence in their salvation. And then thirdly, moving on to verse 9, we see he expresses his prayerfulness. He says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. He is praying that what he's already given thanks for and he's already expressed confidence in would continue. He's just, expressed, he's just praying that it will continue. That this love, that love that's already changed and transformed their lives will continue or keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And again, notice that when he talks about growing in love, he talks about growing in knowledge. That to know God more, to know his word more, is to know him and love him more. Now there's ways we can abuse that for sure. But that's why he accompanies it with every kind of discernment. Right? To not only know what it says factually, but to discern how it's to be used in our life practically and to transform us in a way that is in full submission as servants, just as Paul is, to God in the mission of making his message known. But again, look at the reasoning Paul gives for his prayerfulness. Continuing in verses 10 and 11. It says, so that, right, so I pray this, right, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So again, his prayer is, is what we've already seen. His prayer is that, that, one, they'd be kept blameless. They would refrain from engaging in sinful actions or that which would separate others from God. He also prays that they'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness, so not just that they would refrain from bad, but that they would do the good works of God, not by their own strength, but, but by the power that comes through Jesus Christ and for the purpose of bringing glory and praise to God. So what I want to do is I want to close and I want to invite the worship team to come back up or to prepare to do so. And again, as we think about these ideas that Paul is expressing, again, we've, we've kind of seen the backstory of, of the, the history that he has with them. Ten years since he planted the church and, and they've gone through a lot. He's been in prison several times. He got imprisoned in Philippi. He, he saw converts. He's, he sees the church formed. Uh, overseers are, 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 are appointed and, and deacons are appointed and they've established members and and they see the church grow, and then Paul gets in prison, and he's right. All these emotions tie. He's supported, they've supported him. They've partnered with him actively, both financially and in, and in sending people. They actually sent, a lot of people believe, we'll see two weeks from now, I think, they, they sent their pastor, right, to go accompany Paul right, as a missionary, right, only to then come back when he uh, became physically ill. But they've had this tight relationship, right, and Paul is expressing three things that mark that the depth of that relationship that he has. One is thanks, right? The second is 
confidence in their eternity, right? And then third is, is prayerfulness. And what I want to ask us is, do we look like that as a church? Would, would, you, would you, when someone asks you to describe your church family, right, do, do we communicate it in a similar way? Right. Do, do we express our thanks as if, our, as if we couldn't do it without the church? Right. Again, look at how Paul, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Right. Paul was desperate to have those kinds of relationships, knowing that he could not do, right, without the gift that is the church, he could not do all that God had asked him to do. Right. He'd be missing out on the gospel, which doesn't just reconcile us to God, but also reconciles us to one another. So when people ask, you know, tell me about your church family. Man, I am thankful for them. Because together we are partnered in a mission that is worth giving your life for. And I know that they are doing it alongside of me. And then secondly, and I'm confident that the same things I believe and the same ends to which I am living my life, I know that they are too. Right? Not that they're perfect or without sin, right? but they've demonstrated the fruit of salvation, not again, just as a, as a, as a one-time cool moment, right? but with their whole life. Man, and just prayerfully, I pray that we would continue, that I would get to continue to live alongside them. Here's what I want to end us with, is I want to challenge us. Um, I want to challenge us because there's only one way you can develop a relationship that could possibly express these things, right? It requires a certain level of depth, right? Because it is really easy, not just in, our, in any church, any context, in our world today, it is really easy to develop relationships that are surface level, and I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, the, the difficulty in expressing that kind of thanks or that kind of certainty or confidence or, or that kind of desire to be prayerful right, is because we don't actually know the reasonings that Paul lists here. We don't actually know if we're partnered. Again, I don't mean, because again, partner doesn't just mean attendance. right? Partnered means living out the gospel, sharing Christ, desiring to get to know him, shedding off the old things and putting on the new things, right? Living blameless, but also in righteousness that comes through the power of Christ for the glory of God. That is what we mean when we say partnered. And I think some of us, we know each other, right? Or, 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 and I'm not saying that none of us have any of these relationships. I'm just saying that it's easy at times to not have them because it's easy to just connect on sports, All right, It's easy just to connect on our kids like the same thing. All right, it's easy to just connect on our, our jobs or our careers or telling old stories about things. But what would it look like if the, the primary upfront thing the church connects on is our partnership in the gospel, right? Our, our, our desire to live it out always, sacrificially, and to be so deeply united in prayer that we know when we're not being blameless, right? And we can encourage one another. And that we know when... Uh, we've stumbled. And we also know when God's used us to do good things that we can praise him through one another. 
I think the church is supposed to look like that. And based on Paul's words here, it's supposed to, we're supposed to have those deep relationships with one another. And so if you're in here and you're, so I've got a couple invitations. If you're in here and you feel like you don't have those kinds of relationships, I would imagine it's either because you haven't accepted the truth of the gospel in the first place. All right, and if that is you, we want to invite you to respond to the goodness of what Jesus did for you. Right, Paul uprooted his whole life, imprisoned, beaten, stoned, for the purposes of establishing a church that was centered on the belief in the gospel. And so whatever it is you find yourself pursuing in life, it is not, it, it is not as significant or impactful or life-changing as what Jesus has done for you. Taking the burden of your sin, giving you the joy of his righteousness, and cementing it for eternity in the giving of his Holy Spirit to be brought alongside a family of believers. If that's you, we want to invite you to respond to the gospel this morning and surrender your life. And if any of that's a little confusing, come and let's talk. If you just know you, something's not right, let's just, let's, I'll be at the front and I would love to talk with you. Uh, but then secondly, if you also feel that way, that you don't have those relationships, I want to challenge and encourage you to, to dig in to the relationships of the people sitting next to you. This is your church family. This is the people that God has given you as a gift to be thankful for, to be partnered in ministry with, to be confident together, to, to pray for one another deeply, for one another's freedom from sin and and. and and fulfillment and righteousness. And so I encourage you to, to get to know people on that level. Know what they're reading, right? Ask to read with them, ask questions. And we've gotta go past the, hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Again, I don't say that as a condemnation for a church. That's something that our culture in general, with social media and, and all those things, it's so easy to have the surface level stuff. But God is offering something deeper. It is a joy to have that something deeper. And it supersedes even location as Paul, again, is that picture of one foot in the local church, but also connecting us to our brothers and sisters who aren't immediately in this place as well. So I'm gonna pray if any of that just hits you or strikes a chord in any way, um, we invite you to respond, come forward, the altar's open, um, or to pray with someone around you if that's needed. Um, but let's use this time as a time of active response to the Word of God. Let's pray.